Throughout the scriptures, God is kind enough to use pictures to help us understand and remember deep biblical truths. We see this uh, even as we look at Jesus' parables, right? Because all of the parables that Jesus tells us brings to mind things that at least in the first century, people would have been able to say, oh yeah, right, I get it. Oh, that's right. Oh, a farmer throws seed, right? Who among us hasn't thrown seed and who casts seed around? He tells things that are relevant to people so that they're able to understand and connect, which is very, very kind. You may forget a theological treatise regarding compassion, but you won't soon forget the parable of the Good Samaritan because you've heard it and you can picture it. Uh, when I forget how God thinks and feels about me, even as a, as a wayward sinner, I can remember the parable of the prodigal son, how the father didn't walk but ran towards the son, how he gave him a ring and a robe of honor, how he threw a party for the son that came home seeking forgiveness. Stories are powerful, and pictures are powerful. People often say what? A picture is worth a thousand words, right? Pictures we remember. Pictures stand out in our minds. There's always something that associates, uh, that you can associate that picture with. So you look at a picture either on your phone or in an album. I think they still have those. Um, you, you can look at a picture and you all of a sudden just harken back to when you were there. Sights, sounds, even smells. I remember uh, for our sabbatical uh, several years ago, we went up to Nova Scotia and spent two weeks there. And I can look at the pictures and literally like hear the water rolling in on the back of this cottage that we rented and, and smell the salty sea air and, and, and smell, even I can call back to my mind, just smell the, 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 the smell of a fire that we sat around. There's a fire pit there and just enjoyed some time together as a family. Pictures are worth a thousand words. And at least, in part, that is the reason we're doing what we're doing today as we celebrate baptism. This is a picture modeled to us by Christ himself and given to us that we might remember who we are as a people. That we might remember who he is and what he's done and why that's great. Now, I preached on baptism back in May, and the points in your outline are the exact same points from that sermon, right? Like you heat up leftovers, so so do I. So if you look at those points, they're the exact same points from that sermon. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to preach specifically on the highlighted point that you'll see in your outline. But first thing we're going to do is we're going to blow through all those points like super so fast, just to basically recap. But if you're interested in hearing that sermon, you want to dive deeper on baptism, you can go to our website at graceky.org forward slash sermons. It was preached back in May, so you can do a search or filter by speaker you'll be able to find it. But I also, fun fact, have a podcast on which I broke down the points of that sermon into bite-sized pieces. Because if you're like, you're pretty long-winded on a Sunday. I don't know if I'm going to hear you on a Monday. I get it. So I broke down the points uh, into four, I think, episodes, four episodes on the podcast. So you can look for that. But that's not, uh, you can link to that through my bio page on the church website, or if you use iTunes or Spotify or whatever you listen to it, just search for a podcast called Between the Lines. I'm not the only one, far from the only one with that original name. So look for Between the Lines and then just type in my name and you should be able to find it right there and you'll be able to hear it in smaller portions as opposed to one big, one big sermon. So very quickly now, we're going to blow through all of these points and then come back to point number two. Point number one, baptism does not save us from our sins. There's no action, no ritual, nothing apart from God's sovereign saving grace and mercy that saves us from our sins. 
Uh, if we lose power right now, if we have to leave right now, or if the baptistry springs a leak right now, which is part of the reason why I was so nervous about moving this, because I was like, uh, something, there's hoses, there's wires, like, let's just leave well enough alone. If something were to happen right now, and Chris were to not be baptized during this service, or if something tragic were to happen to Chris, and he were called home to be with the Lord before he had a chance to be, be baptized, he would be at home with the Lord, because he's not going home to be with the Lord because of what he's about to do. He's going to go home to be with the Lord because of what Jesus Christ has already done. Baptism doesn't save. So it's an important thing for us to realize, and there's scriptures in your outline, such as Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of what? Works, so that no one may boast. There's nothing to boast in except what Christ has done for us. It's not that we all of a sudden wake up and decide to do something really awesome for ourselves. Jesus Christ has died on the cross for sinners like you and like me. Now, although baptism doesn't save, baptism does symbolize our salvation. We're going to come back to that as point number two. Skip to point number three. Baptism is not necessary for salvation. So some people say that uh, baptism saves. We would say, no, it doesn't. But then other people would say, no, no, Jesus saves, but baptism is kind of the necessary ticket. That's kind of the, the thing you flash at the gate is the fact that you got baptized, and that, it makes it necessary for salvation. But if you look in your outline, uh, I put Luke 23, verses 42 and following, and that is an account of Jesus talking to the thief on the cross who professed faith in Christ, belief in Christ for baptism, and yet Jesus, who certainly could have, didn't take him off the cross and baptize him. Why? Because baptism is not necessary for salvation. The best commentary on Scripture is Scripture. The best commentary on Scripture is Scripture. So although baptism is important and certainly present with almost every recorded conversion in the New Testament, it's important to remember that it isn't salvific, meaning it doesn't, it's, it's not efficacious to salvation. It doesn't impart salvation, nor is the actual action required for baptism. And so it's important for us to remember that even though we see people who profess faith and are baptized constantly, especially throughout the book of Acts, we can't separate that from the first point we covered, which is that we are not saved by works. But it's tempting to do that, right? Because you look at the scripture, you're like, I don't know, I see a lot of salvation and baptism, or baptism and salvation. You know, I see that they're closely connected, so I feel like they work together. But we can't remember the greater overarching theme that we see throughout the scriptures of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. So to that point, point number four, baptism is normative in the New Testament. We see this constantly throughout the book of Acts. Baptism isn't just for special Christians. It's not for just the serious Christians. Like there's the Christians and then there's the baptized Christians. They're kind of a big deal. All right, this isn't ordination. This is baptism. It's not just for the devout Christian or the extra holy Christian or anything like that. If you're a Christian, if you love Jesus and trust in him for salvation and you've not been baptized, I'm not saying you're not saved. I am saying according to the scriptures and what you would see from other Christians, you're, careful, don't leave yet, you're abnormal. Love you. That's not like, we're all, ab, we're all abnormal in, in certain ways, but it's abnormal for someone to be a Christian and not profess their faith through baptism, not obtain their faith through baptism. So I'm not 
making a judgment call on your heart and where you're headed. I'm not like, like kind of implying, like, I'm not saying you're not saved, but I'm kind of saying you're not saved. I'm not, not doing that at all. I'm just saying the normal pattern throughout Christianity, throughout Christendom, throughout the church, throughout the Bible, throughout church history, is that people are saved and publicly profess their faith in baptism, the reason for which I will cover as we go back to that point later on. Uh, number five, baptism is not for babies. Uh, there's no examples of anyone being baptized apart from belief in Christ, not even babies. So uh, the term baptism means to immerse, and yet there are certain people who believe that baptism is not an immersion, but it's a sprinkling, and it's a sign of the covenant, but it's not necessarily uh, a sign of belief or salvation. And all I'm saying is, and I'm not saying, again, not making a judgment call on those people and saying that they're not part of the family of God. Everyone's got weird cousins. I get it. But what I'm saying is that as you, as you look through the scriptures and as you best understand what the words mean as far as baptism is concerned, it would be immersion and is always connected to somebody who gives a profession of faith. So when I say baptism isn't for babies, that's not me being anti-baby. That's not me saying kids only matter when they reach a certain age. No, no, no. If the child could give a profession of faith, we'd baptize the child, and it would probably make the news. But if the baby was giving, able to talk about what's on the baby's heart and mind, sure, that's fine. But as we look through the scriptures, we see people saying, I believe, and they're baptized. I get it, and they're baptized. Not just, I have been born, and they're baptized. So there's no examples in the scriptures of babies being baptized. But baptism is for believers just like you and me, just like Chris. Acts 8 and verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And finally, two more points. Baptism makes us more like Jesus since he was what? Baptized, right? So this is just an, it's a, you might say, okay, that's not that big of a deal. Well, in every area of my life, I would love to be more like Jesus. So this is an area in my life that I can do something that I've seen my Savior do throughout the pages of Scripture. So by being baptized, that's one more thing that I've done that's like, cool, I'm like Jesus in that way. That's never a bad thing. Matthew 3, verses 16 and following records the baptism of Jesus. And finally, point number eight, baptism grows us in our obedience to Jesus because we're told to make disciples of all the nations and baptizing them in the name of the Trinity, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So if you were to go back, what we're going to talk about now uh, and what Colin read from was Romans chapter six, and that's the scripture that I want to call your attention to as we spend the rest of our time looking at that, that baptism does symbolize our salvation. That's why that point is highlighted in your outline. Baptism may not save. Uh, No, let me reword that. Baptism does not save, um, but that doesn't mean it's not very important. That doesn't mean it's not very meaningful because of what baptism depicts. Baptism is a sign pointing to something greater than itself. It's a sign pointing to something greater than itself. It is in and of itself, is not necessarily uh, special insofar as what it does for us. No grace, certainly no saving grace is imparted from it. But baptism is a very special sign for what it points to, for what it represents, for what it depicts. When someone is immersed in baptism, there's a lot that is illustrated. So if you look at Romans chapter 6, let's work through the text as we see it there. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. 
How can we who died to sin, to sin still live in it? Now, verse 3 says, uh, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 4, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, here's what I want to tell you about that passage. Paul isn't talking about baptism. You say, yes, he is. I see the word not once, twice, but three times in those verses you just read. He's not talking about baptism. You say, yes, he is. I see it in my Bible. I say, okay, let me do the preaching. I know you're not really saying this, but, but you, he is not talking about baptism, and let me explain that to you. So when we see this term baptism, if you remember from my sermon back in May or from what I just said a little earlier, the primary use of the Greek word baptizo, which is used in different forms throughout the scriptures, is to plunge or to dip or to immerse. So when Paul here is talking uh, about us being baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death, Take out of your minds, like pay no attention to the giant baptistry. (laughs) Pay no attention to even what we're going to do just for a moment. And just think immersed. Uh, Think submerged. Think plunged into. So when we're reading this text in Romans chapter 6 at verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Christ Jesus, who have been plunged into the saving grace of Christ Jesus, that's the picture he is painting for us. That those of us who have been immersed into Christ Jesus were immersed into his death and everything that comes with it. Uh, All the, the satisfaction that God the Father has because of what Jesus Christ the Son has done for us. We've been immersed into that. We, 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 it's all over us. It's going to just rule and reign every aspect of our lives. That's what Paul is saying. He's using that same term to bring that picture to mind. And that brings a whole new picture to our minds as we witness and participate in baptism, right? Because we're being reminded that something changed in Chris's life. Something happened, and it was as if he was just totally made a a totally different person. So Chris is going to look very different at the end of his baptism here than he does at the beginning. Dry to wet, right? Dry clothes to wet clothes. Uh, wiping off the, like uh, wiping his face and his eyes. Why? Because he's been totally changed. Because here, in a small way, we picture it by seeing someone go under the water and come out of the water. But it's pointing to something better. It's pointing to something bigger. That something has happened in the life of a man or woman that has totally whoosh, changed everything about them. And that they've been immersed into the saving and sanctifying grace of Jesus Christ. The old is put away. The new has come. Romans 6 verses 3 and 4 speaks of the burial and the resurrection of Christ. As someone is baptized, it's a reminder to us and a picture for us of of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ by which we celebrate and enjoy eternal life and that we get to celebrate with Chris. But here's something else. So as you see that word baptized or baptism into his death, you need to understand that the particular use of that word, that Greek word, is 
the definition, if you were to look it up in a, in a, in a, a, a Bible dictionary or a Greek dictionary, would be the introduction or placing, try to track with me, of a person or thing, listen, the introduction or placing of a person or thing into a new environment or into union with something else so as to alter its condition or relationship to its previous environment. Now, that's a long definition. I get it. I'll do it one more time. Um, the introduction or placing of a person into a, uh, into a new environment or into union with something else so as to alter its condition or its relationship to its previous environment or condition. So when we're baptized into Jesus, right? Not baptized, but immersed into Christ. When, when Look, I said not baptized. I still did the... You can take the boy out of the Baptist church. You can't take the Baptist church out of the boy. So, so it's, as you're immersed into the salvation experience of Jesus Christ, as your life has been changed, we have been altered in such a way that will affect how we interact with the environment in which we came from. Not as a result of this, but as a result of this. What Christ did for us on the cross has changed us. Changed the way we we see the world. Changes the way we interact with people, with places, with things in this world. Changes our value system. We just came out of a sermon series called what? Upside down living. It turns our value system completely on its head. And now we want to live a life according to God's values. And so I'm sitting at home with Sarah, and I'm working on this point. And usually I'll rope Sarah in when I really want to help with an illustration or just want some outside perspective, just someone who doesn't think exactly like me because kind of, I've, I've hit a wall sometimes in thinking through illustrations or application points. And I was like, Listen, I need you to give me an example of some. Just start thinking through, like, what's an example of something that is, like, treated that totally changes the way it is forever and never needs to be retreated again? So she's like, all right. She starts thinking. She starts getting on her phone and looking something. She's on Pinterest. Why would this be on Pinterest? Some, somehow, I don't know, she finds lots of things on Pinterest. Whatever, it's good. So starts Googling things, starts thinking through things. I kind of step away for a minute, I get a glass of water, I come back, I'm thinking, and I'm thinking like, when we stain a deck, or I've stained my deck, okay, if you have a deck, you know it requires staining, and uh, you do that so that it not only looks nice, but it also seals it and protects it against water, and you do that, right? In fact, you usually do it in the, in the fall, um, and then you do it. Once and forever? No. Uh, bad illustration. Move on. So that's what I keep going through. Like, like, okay, what is like the once and forever? What is once and forever? What is once and forever? Then I came upstairs with my glass of water, and I was thinking, and I told Sarah, I was like, I've got it. And she said, cool, what is it? Because I can't think of anything. I said, that's it. She's like, yeah. All right. She's like, it's like, that's it. Nothing outlasts the saving grace of God through Christ. Nothing. There is no perfect example because 
Things that we use, things that we do in this world usually require some type of tweaking, some type of reapplication, some type of do-over. This is good and will seal your deck for probably one, maybe two years. Then you've got to restain it and reseal it. But thanks be to God that Jesus like really paid it what? Paid it some or paid it? Yeah, paid it all. Once and forever, it is finished, paid in full. Nothing outlasts the saving grace of God through Christ. The introduction or placing of a person into a new environment or into union with something else so as to alter its condition or its relationship with the previous environment or condition. The Beatitudes that we were just talking about in our last sermon series are part of the Sermon on the Mount. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6 we read this. And you, know, you can turn there if you like. Matthew 6, take a look at verse 19. Matthew 6 and verse 19. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, Where moth and rust, what? Destroy. Where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Now, this text is not talking about baptism. It has nothing to do with that. It's talking about where we place our uh, our primary focus, where we, uh, how we spend time, money, how, we, how our value systems show in our everyday life. And it's saying, look ahead. Don't totally like unpack your bags here. Live out of the bag here and really invest in eternity. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven. To have an eternal perspective on things, not just here and now. But I think the thing that strikes me about this is the fact that moth and rust destroy, right? Everything that we invest in here on earth, everything that we build up here on earth, not saying they're not good things. Just let's make sure that the good thing doesn't drop the O and becomes a God thing, right? We don't want it to become primary in our life. So things that we have here, moth and rust destroy, it decays. We have, we had like, like four hours of ice this earlier this week and all the trees are gone. Is it me or is it like the smallest, it seemed like one of the most minor storms that blew through this area, at least my time in living here, has like destroyed. Am I right? Like, like crazy. I was like, oh wow, driving around, it's like, oh, half that tree is gone from the ice. That was crazy to me. And people are like, well, it's because the leaves are on the tree. They hold more ice, and it makes it heavy, which I get. But wouldn't the leaves fall before the tree? Maybe not. There's probably a spiritual connection to that somewhere. But anyway, so, so all of a sudden, like, think of how fragile, think of how breakable, think of how expendable everything in this life is. But not Christ. Not Christ. Not the saving grace of God. And so we look at ourselves if we're Christians and we realize, wow, saved by grace through faith, once and for all, paid in full, it is finished. God is satisfied. I've been justified praise his name. There's nothing else like it in the world.
That's what we celebrate through water baptism. Wow. Look at what God has done. God has taken Chris and his life and his value systems and the way he thinks through different things. And there's not a single part of him that has not been touched by the grace of God or will be touched by the grace of God. And it gives a whole new meaning to the picture of seeing somebody go into and come up out of the water. Like, it's as if, spiritually speaking, it's like he doesn't come out of the water. That would kill him here. We don't want to do that. That would be like so, like what a way to go, right? But that would be really sad, so we don't want to do that. But you see him come out of the water and he looks different. He feels different than he did beforehand. Uh, his senses have been uh, affected. There might even be some that, you know, that smell you get when you get water in your nose? I mean, you know what I'm talking There's just that smell. A little bit of that, right? Uh, can't see as clearly as he did beforehand. A little bit of water in the ears affecting how he hears. Little, a lot of water all over his body affecting how he feels. Jesus Christ affects every aspect of our being. That's what we're seeing when we see people be baptized. It's a reminder to us of the all-encompassing change that saving grace brings into our life. And thankfully, here's where the illustration breaks down, because all illustrations break down. When you're plunged into Jesus, you never dry off. Because that change is forever. Forever! Changes the way we think and the way we feel and the way we talk and the way we interact with loved ones, with friends, with neighbors, even with and especially with enemies. And God does this, yes, to celebrate what he's done in Chris's life, and yes, so that we can celebrate what he's done in Chris's life. But you know why else he does this? Because we're just prone to forget. You're you're prone to forget. The vast majority of you don't immediately remember what you had for dinner last night. Now you do, but it took like six seconds. That wasn't a long time ago. So if it's, just think of how our minds work. This is something we've been told of that we have read about, but actually never, like how many of you are at Calvary? Like we weren't at Calvary's cross. We weren't there. We couldn't watch it. We couldn't see it. The hymn writer said it best, right? Prone to wander. Do you feel it? Prone to leave the God I love. We are fickle finite, forgetful people. We just forget. Prone to forgetting. And so God, in his kindness, has given us reminders throughout the scriptures to remind us of him, of us, and the good news of the gospel. Because as you celebrate Chris, if you're a believer, you look at that and you say, yeah, that's, that's also me. God's done that for me. You're celebrating that because there's another one like you. Another person who's been saved like you. Another person who struggles to follow Christ like you. Another person who's been given life like you. Another person who's been plucked out of the mire and given a, a seat at the table like you. And that's what we're reminded of. Chris... God's saving grace has met you and changed you, continues to change you, 
It's given you the hope of heaven that moth and rust can't touch. You don't need to reapply, right? No need to lather, rinse, repeat. It's, it is finished. You don't need to maintain it. I am saved, but I have to make sure that I'm cool with him and he's cool with me. Otherwise, I could, could lose it all. could lose it all. I'm not sure what kind of mood he's in, what he had for breakfast, what's it doing to his stomach. It's finished. That is what we celebrate for you today. And um, we're excited to be reminded for ourselves as well. Would you turn to Psalm 40? And I'd like to ask our worship team to come forward. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. This is what God has done for all of his people. This is what he's done for all of his sheep. This is what he's done for all of his children, all who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. He has heard our cry. He has uh, inclined to me, right? He's inclined to me. So even as I um, try my best all the time, and it's a good thing for you to do as well, when speaking to children, here's what you need to do. Here's what, here's what you need to do. You'll see me do that. It's what I try to do with guests as they come in. I immediately go down on one knee and try to get on the child's level. Just for a minute, again, fickle, finite people, remember, like let's say you're six feet, five and a half feet. Yeah, picture someone double your size, right? Talk to a 10-foot person. Tell me you as an adult wouldn't do this, right? So, so you get down, you incline your ear to them. You get on their level. You look them in the eye. This is what God did for us. He inclined to me, right? He leaned towards me. He, he listened to me. He put his ear out to me. He heard my cry. He heard Chris's cry. He drew me up, verse 2, from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. And that's what we celebrate. And if that's not you, if you read this and you say, this sounds really, really great for Chris. I don't have that. I'm not about to be baptized. But it sounds like something I could really use, security in Christ, uh, being lifted out of a pit, being released from bondage, having a God who doesn't stand afar off, but who inclines himself to me. If that sounds like something that you don't have but want, you can have that today. And you say, I didn't bring a change of clothes. It's fine. You don't have to be baptized. Baptism doesn't what? Baptism doesn't save. save. Jesus saves. So you look to Jesus and you say, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. And Jesus looks back and says, it is what? done. It's finished. I'm not sure what to say. I need to be saved. Have mercy on me. I need to be saved. Hey, I need that. 
I want some of that. I want in on that. I need to be saved. This can be true of you. Maybe God brought you here so that you could hear the gospel, see a picture of the gospel displayed. I'll call them back. And that you can also partake in the resurrection and death and burial of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 2, set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. And now look at verse 3. This is the hope I have for you who don't know Christ. He put a new song in my mouth. Those of us who know Christ say, yes, he has. Yes, he has. There's new ways I express myself. A a song of praise to our God. And this is it right here, the end of verse 3. Here's my hope and prayer for you if you know not Christ. That many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That you would hear the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for sinners just like you and me. Not me. Just like you and me. And that God was satisfied in the price that he paid for sinners just like you and me. And that he was dead, not faking dead, but D-E-A-D, dead, buried. But then he rose from the grave and was victorious over the thing that you and I have coming to us that we could never be victorious over apart from Christ. Death. Defeated death. Rose from the grave and offers that salvation to you today, right now, just by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. God, as we prepare our hearts and prepare our minds uh, to witness in a really in a small way uh, what you've done for us in a huge way, call these truths to our minds. Remind us of who we were and who we have become. And that's not a call for me to look into the mirror and read my resume and feel great about who I am and where I'm at but remind us that we were in the pit of destruction that we're in the the miry bog and you reached down and grabbed us set us on the rock made our steps secure and put a new song in our mouth so that anyone who boasts might boast in Jesus. And Lord, I pray for those who are here, friends, family members, first-time guests, anyone, or long-time attenders of our church who don't know you. Would you use this baptism as a celebration of what you've done in saving Chris? as a celebration of what you've done in saving all your people. And would you save someone today? Would you use this as a time to call someone out of that darkness, out of that miry bog, and change their heart, that they might look to you and know that they walked in here a sinner, guilty, hell-bound, and hell-deserving, and walked out of here saved because of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name.